<laughs> All right. Good afternoon, church. Uh, it's always fun to be introduced to uh, a new song, if uh, you felt that way. I thought that was pretty cool. Appreciate the worship team leading us in worship here. Uh, it's great to be here at the 12 o'clock service, first time this year. So, uh, you know, there's always something about your firsts, right? You remember them. And so, and hopefully it won't be my last time preaching here, right? Uh, and so, I uh, always love being here. But, uh, you know, I'm actually preaching here. You know, uh, good friend Clint over here was like, Will, I'm a little worn out, tired out from the, from the dance last night. My daughter was just on the dance floor all night. Can you preach, Will? I was like, I got you, Clint. I got you, man. I got your back here. So uh, that's why I'm, I am here. No, but I heard that uh, dads had a lot of great times with their daughters. Yes. Okay, well, I'll just ask the daughters. They'll tell me the truth there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just great. This facility's been used all weekend long uh, from Friday, Saturday night to this morning and this afternoon. So we're going to continue having a great old time here uh, together. So uh, we're going to continue on the treasure principle that uh, our, first in, our second installment will be here today. So, uh, you know, we're piggybacking off the uh, first two keys that were brought to you uh, last week or so. And so much of the material actually we're covering comes from the book, uh, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. So in case you are interested in reading along either with us or, or you want to refresh and read it again, uh, you can go ahead and, and do so and attain that book here. But uh, let's get started by looking at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, God really wants us to understand that he is about storing up treasure. But the right kind of treasure. Not treasure here on earth. Why? Because it's necessarily sinful or wrong or bad. No, because it just won't last. And so he wants us to store up treasures not here on earth but in heaven. And, you know, we learned in our last lesson here that God sees our faith and our finances as inseparable. Okay, the two go hand in hand with each other. You cannot take them apart. We discussed that the first two keys to the treasure principle is the first one here. God owns everything and I am his money manager, right? And God owns everything. If you truly believe that, if you and I sit here and go, wow, God owns everything, therefore I own nothing, okay? Then what that means is the burden, we have that burden to justify the things that we hold on to. You guys know what I mean by that? It's like, okay, you know, if, it, if, if my car belongs to God, okay, can I justify having this car to God? You're like, well, yeah, okay, I need it for uh, work. Okay, yeah, to help other people get from point A to point B. Okay, great. But then there's a lot of other things, possessions we may have. We go, can we really justify that to God? I need this. I got to have this. I got to keep investing in this and that. Can we justify that? You know, and then the second point we talked about was my heart always goes where I put God's money. Okay, so 
Uh, not the other way around. This is an important thing to understand. Money leads, the heart follows. So it's not the other way around. It's not that money or our hearts will be in a good place and then because they are, money then follows. No, money talks and so money leads and then our heart will follow. And so the question that we had to really ponder and ask ourselves last time we got together was where are you putting God's money? Where is your money leading your heart? And that must have been such a challenging thing for us to do, to wrap our hearts and minds around. But it's not, even, it's not going to let up here today. In Luke 12, verse 15, as we get ready to explore the next two keys of this treasure principle. In Luke 12, we read, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life did not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know, Jesus gives us a warning. Watch out. Be on your guard. To look out, you know, and what really impacts me here is that it says not just greed, it says all kinds of greed. Can you identify all kinds of greed he's talking about here? Because you and I, we might have felt like before this, man, you know, I'm not that greedy of a person. I've never thought of myself as a greedy person. I've never been told that at least to my face, Uh, but, you know, no one's ever mentioned that. I've never felt like I live like that. And so maybe that one didn't get you that well. And so then you're like, okay, then the next one, here it is. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Wait, oh, so you mean like all those big packages or boxes full of just stuff in my garage? That may not be a good thing. Or just all the things I hoard and collect and keep. Or the things that I have invested money in that I don't even use anymore. Man, am I someone that can be guilty of abundance of possessions? Because he just said life doesn't consist of these things. You know, and there was a time in my life when having the option to have abundance, you know, it didn't come so frequently. You know, with, you know, I mean, there's not many options for my single parent mom and I, you know, when it came to food. I ate what I got. You know, clothes, I, I, I wore what I got. You know, toys, I, I played with what I got. B- oh, but, but, but now, now, you know, we're years removed from that time. And, uh, you know, I've come a long way from those days. But does that allow me now to have a license to indulge in a possession, you know, an abundance of possessions? Would God want me to view What I have in that way, is that what I'm living for? Jesus would argue, that's not real life. Jesus commands us to focus on giving. Where our sinful nature, it focuses on getting. Getting and receiving. So today as we continue these two more keys to the uh, treasure principle, uh, hopefully it will help us. It will keep us faithful to our giving. It will help us with our faith in alignment to God and what he desires. Because if you haven't felt challenged already, uh, I hope you're prepared for today. And so let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just totally want to submit ourselves, our minds, our hearts, and our wills to you here this afternoon. We know this is challenging to talk about finances, to talk about money, because it could get personal. It could get a, a touchy subject. 
But Father, we understand that you talk about it so honestly and so openly, even more than heaven, even more than hell. This is important. This is serious. And I pray, Father, that we would have that heart, that we would align your heart. Father, that we would allow you to define what our treasures are, to define what giving should look like and be like. May you define those things, not our emotions, not our current situation, not our feelings, not our pasts, but that you and your words would define it for us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. So as we begin here, the first uh, key that we're going to look at here in just a sec, uh, when you think about giving, you know, maybe one of the greatest hurdles we have to overcome to being generous givers is this illusion that earth is our home and not heaven. Right? The church can so easily lose focus about this powerful reality that heaven, not earth, is our home. And as a result of that, we tend to be indulgent, selfish, self-centered, weak. We're consumed with our own indulgences. We desire to be comfortable with only passing thoughts of heaven. Contrast that with the fact that just about everything that's precious to you and I is actually in heaven. When you really get reminded of this, it's mind-blowing. So key three, heaven, not earth, is my home. Hebrews 11, verse 13, says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This world was not their home. They were strangers in this world, foreigners in this land, and their behavior was dictated by that fact that this world could not have a hold on them. Their treasure was banked someplace else because they fixed their eyes on all things precious to them in heaven. And so let me remind us here this morning, this afternoon, of those precious things that are waiting in heaven for us. Let's start with the first one, all right? I know you're getting ahead, you're reading all through the list. Let's start with the first one. Our Father. Jesus tells us our Father is in heaven. In a very real way, in a very real sense, the one who has created you, the one who is the source of everything, is in heaven. Not only is our Heavenly Father, but our Savior, our Lord and Savior is in heaven as well. Not only is your Father, not only is your Savior, but our brothers and sisters in heaven are in heaven as well. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, Brothers and sisters who have gone before us in the faith are waiting in heaven. Our names, our names are recorded in heaven. We hold title to a place in that land. And in that land is where you'll find your father's house. And what does the Bible tell us about our father's house? There are many rooms. There are many rooms. You see, because in this land, your inheritance, you might not feel like you are being told there's room. You're applying for that job that will get you to another place in your life or a better life only to be told, uh, you know, I'm sorry, there's no room. 
you're applying to a college, you're looking forward to this new college experience, and you apply only to be told, I'm sorry, there's no room. Maybe you've been told by a loved one, someone that you've given your heart to, that in their heart, I'm sorry, but there's no room for you in my heart. God would want you to know there's room. That in him, in heaven, man, there's room. And Jesus says, I would not have told you so if it were not true. I would not have gone before to prepare a place for you if this were not true. I think of our inheritance. All the riches of God's glory and grace are set aside for you and me in heaven. So our father's there. Our savior's there. Our brothers and sisters are there. Our name is there. We hold title to a place in that land. Our inheritance is there. Our eternal reward is there. Our citizenship is there. We belong to that place. Philippians 3 verse 20 reminds us of that. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. So next time, when you think about heaven... When you identify this place, you're identifying a place where your father is, where your Lord and Savior is, your brothers and sisters are, your name is written there, an inheritance is there, an eternal reward is there, your citizenship is all there. Just sum it up, your heaven is your home and not earth. Everything we love is there. Everything we cherish is there. Everything that is valuable to us, everything eternal is there. And yet why do we commit ourselves to indulging in this foreign land? Self-indulgent Christianity. It's the kind of Christianity that's lost this heavenly perspective. It's as if we don't hope for heaven until earth until we've exhausted everything earth has to offer you and I. I mean, you know, God, heaven, not, not yet. You know, I haven't traveled the world yet. God, I want to see all the vast lands. I mean, I want to travel the world. Not yet. You know, I, I'm waiting for this one job to come in, this raise to happen, so I can build this dream house. And I promise after that house, no more. I'll have perfectly everything I've wanted in this house. So God, not, not yet. Heaven, not yet. You know, we need to learn to live in light of heaven. That hope should fill our hearts. It should change our lives Filling us with the joy of anticipation that loosens us from this passing world. Rather than being so tied down and invested in it. To the things that will perish. When we should be laying treasures in heaven. You know, you don't have to go to a junkyard or a landfill. I'll just bring it to you. To realize that, man, this is a sobering sight. Sobering picture. If you could tell the depth of it, you know, is at an angle. I mean, that truck is going uphill with mountains, piles of, etern- uh, of, of earthly possessions. And, you know, Texas, right behind California, is the second largest, you know, producer of methane 
methane gas, you know, it's the, it's the, 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 the solution to how, how we deal with all the 8 to 10 tons of garbage that are taken care of, disposed of every day. But boy, you know, I mean, that's just a lot. And you know what's there? It's earthly possessions are the things that once in our lifetime, once in, uh, in our time, we were envious over. At one point in our lives, we compromised convictions for. At one time in our lives, it, it ruined, damaged relationships. At one point, you know, we went into debt for. At one point in our lives, honesty was sacrificed. Maybe marriages were broken over. And it all ended up where? It all ends up there. So the question is, you know, where is your true home? Where are you storing your treasures? This leads to the fourth key to the treasure principle. And that key is that I should live not for the dot, but for the line. I should live not for the dot, but for the line. Let me explain this here with my fancy diagram here. It took me a while to create this fancy diagram here. So the dot there represents life on earth. It is temporary. It is stagnant. It expires. It's, it's finite. It's temporary. Okay, you guys get the drift? The line. Now, maybe that doesn't do it justice there. But the line is life in heaven which extends and goes for eternity. And never expires. It's infinite. It's eternal. That's the line. And right now, we are living in the dot. But what are we living for? You see, the short-sighted person lives for the dot. The person with perspective lives for the line that extends forever. A life of giving is the person living in the, for the line. Because you ever wonder what would happen to your life if, if you just caught a break? If, if somehow riches or a lump sum of money just came and fell on your lap, somehow... You know, if you just cut a break, then you really could live for that. Then really, you really could have a better life. And you know, the rea reality is, you know, I did some research. You ever wondered about people who strike it rich? People who won millions of dollars in the lottery or jackpot winners? You know, I was reading these cautionary tales. And it's so sobering. Because they too were like, man, if I just catch a big break... And this, you know, now that I have this financial capacity for a better life, it will be better. And yet when I read these stories of these unlucky winners who lost really big, all of them were full of tragedy, addiction, infidelity, blackmail, kidnapping, debt, bankruptcy, broken families and marriages, suicidal attempts, murder, and regrets. You know, all these tragic stories of these people winning, uh, holding on to their winnings, the longest one, whether it was a million dollars, 10 million, 50, 150 million, the longest they held on to it was about nine years. After that, gone. 
And you might sit and go, okay, well, that's, man, people are making bad choices. I wouldn't do that. You don't know until you're in that spot. What the love of money can do for a person, the trust in it. But the reality is sometimes rather than just spending it away, sometimes the reality is it's taken from us. You know, a self-employed New York carpenter stopped at a convenience store on his way to upstate New York uh, to his home in upstate New York on December 30th, just a few months ago. And he bought a merry millionaire ticket, hoping to strike it big. That ticket did indeed win him a million-dollar jackpot on a scratch-off lottery ticket. As he was interviewed, he said, honestly, man, this is going to change my life. So 2018 starts He's got New Year's resolutions. He's got big dreams, just like all of us did, starting the year off. And he pays a a visit to the doctor. And it's at this doctor's visit, and he finds out he has stage 4 cancer. And at the age of 51, he passes away just two weeks ago. You know, let me just say this. You know, if you have good health here today... You truly have won the best lottery there is. You know, that, that's not guaranteed for us. And uh, I hope you join me in prayer for our brothers and sisters who are, who are facing some very serious and difficult health challenges. But I share these stories because, guys, we can't live for something that death can take away. We just can't. That we hold on to something we think it's going to come with us or somehow it's going to give us the fulfillment of today when the reality it's not. The wealth we so often believe will bring us happiness more often times than not brings us misery. We think we own our possessions. We got control. I got this. When in reality, our possessions own us. They control us. So we need to let go of the dog. I mean, just listen to one of the wisest men who ever lived. Ecclesiastes 5, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. In other words, the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the less you are satisfied. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? In other words, the more you have, the more people, including the government, will come after it. I mean, you guys know the saying, right? Famous rappers, more money, more problems. Man, God said it first right here. Man, the more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. 
the more you have, the more you have to lose. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they could carry in their hands. The more you have, the more you'll leave behind. Here's Solomon. He could live for the dot. And he had the wealth to do it. Look what he says in verse 10 of chapter 2. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. So what's his conclusion? Well, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I, this is Solomon. How could you say it's meaningless? You're talking about all the toil, all, attaining all those possessions, attaining it all. You're saying it's meaningless? Absolutely. Man. Then what's the cure? Okay, what's the cure for us? How do we live for heaven and not earth? How do we live for the line and not for the dots? Or 1 Timothy 6 has some specific instructions. This is where we get practical. You guys with me? 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. And should give generously to those in need. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for their future. So that they may take hold of real life. What's the cure? How do we store up treasures in heaven? How do we live for the line rather than the dot? Let's break down this passage here step by step. It says, trust in God. It says, tell those who are rich in this world. I look around us here and I say, okay, I'm talking to the right crowd. Will, but I'm not rich. Do you need to be reminded that 50% of this world lives under uh, $2.50 a day. 80% of this world lives under $10 a day. That's more or that's, that's, that's less than what you spent for breakfast probably this morning. And we don't think we're rich? No, you're rich. You're rich. But in Jesus' words, be reminded that puts us at a serious disadvantage. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, he tells the crowd, man, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And so now these words should jump out at us. Tell those who are rich not to be proud, but not to trust in their money. Because it will soon be gone. It will. You don't think it will? It will. But their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives all that we need for our enjoyment. You know, use money here to do good. Rich in good 
works. Now let me throw this in there because it's coming up. You know how you can use your money to do good here this Wednesday, brothers? Our married brothers here, encourage your spouses. Valentine's Day is coming up. Use your money to do good. You know, the reality is, I, I looked up some facts and I said, okay, how much, how much is spent on that day? You know, money, uh, you know, on chocolates, on flowers. The average consumer spends about roughly $160 for Valentine's Day to communicate to their, to their loved one, man, you're my Valentine. And so, you know what? Addie, my wife, oh, she's, she's going to get hooked up. She's going to feel loved upon here this Valentine's. I'm going to hook her up. She's going to know I want to be your Valentine. I'm grateful you're my Valentine. But you know what? I'm going to do it at a fraction of that. <laughs> and being the spiritual giant that she is, she's totally cool with that. Why? Because I'm not trying to be the average consumer. I'm not trying to be average. I'm a disciple of Jesus. There are good works to be rich in, to invest in. And so I'm going to be a great example and, uh, and encourage my wife. But boy, we can, we can be rich in good works. You know, the Dallas Church, we have big dreams, guys. Big dreams to see a ministry in Uptown be planted there. We have big dreams to continue to spread the gospel all over Texas and Oklahoma. We support special missions. When we give to special missions, we continue to make it special knowing that it is for the work that God is doing. We also support Mexico. We also support Eurasian missions. And you know, I'm so thankful to be a representative, an ambassador, to go to that land and speak that tongue and they're appreciative of my Spanish, my heart to try to speak it fluently. But they're just so grateful for what we come to bring to them. The resources, the lessons, the knowledge, the experiences, the teachings. They're so hungry and eager. And so we invest. This is the good work here. This is money being used to do good. Rich in good works. You know, I think of giving generously to those in need and ready to share what God has given to you. You know, I think of being faithful to the work of Hope Worldwide and what it's doing around the world. The generosity it takes to respond to meet the needs, whether it's disaster reliefs. We saw that here in, uh, in what happened in Houston last year. And we've represented and we, we've met the need. We, we, we stepped up collectively. I think of brothers and sisters stepping up to meet needs for those of our youth who need a little help to get to camp, who need a little help to experience Hope Youth Corps and invest in things like that. You know, not only as a director of one of them, but also as a participant in what it did for me in my young age there. Man, it is, it has profoundly changed my mind and my heart to have more compassion towards the poor. To think, to not be so American-centric, okay? There's a bigger world out there than just being an American. And that helped me to be on youth corps and such like that. But you know what? I couldn't have gone if it wasn't for brothers and sisters living in the South who gave to someone like me in need. 
I mean, that's my desire. That's my dream. That every teen here would be able to experience one youth core in their lifetime, in their time during their teen years. At least one to get that experience, to get those memories and what that does to a teen. But you know what? There will always be needs. And so that's why we always got to be ready to share. Always ready to share what God has given us. We got to be proactive. That's got to be budgeted. That's got to be part of our mindset. Not an afterthought. Not some emotional plea from the ministers or people saying, guys, we, need, we have a need here. Can we meet it? And we feel guilt ridden. And we're like, now we're like, oh, man, you know, God, Will said this to give generously to others. Okay, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for this or pay for that. Instead, we're being proactive going, man, what can I sacrifice? Because there will always be needs so that when that need is there, I'm ready to engage it. I'm ready to give. This is not an afterthought. This is not a if I have change, I'll give to it. I know it's coming. And I want to be part of the solution. And I say that because, guys, collectively, we've met needs. Collectively, disaster reliefs, uh, kids going to prom, uh, youth corps, camps, uh, you know, Texas missions, blowing out special missions. Collectively. But the reality is, when that poor widow came and gave her offering, Jesus was watching. And so collectively we've done that, but individually, can you say that you are a part of that? You are one of those who give generously. You are one of those that trusts in God and uses money to do good and invests in it. Not that you have a good heart and then your money's going to lead. No, your money's already there. And it's showing and revealing where your heart is. But can you say that? Because Jesus is watching. Just like Jesus watched that poor widow and commended her and lifted her up. Not so much the amount. It's what she had left. She had nothing left. That was her sacrifice. But what's your sacrifice? What's my sacrifice? What do I need to cut back from? You know, one of the things that I, I decided to do back when I was a single man was, I don't need cable. Uh, no one needed to tell me that. That wasn't a rule. That wasn't something. I just don't need to be paying $50, $100, whatever, for cable. I'd rather be with people. And if there's something I need to watch, the Olympics right now, I'll go over someone's house and watch it with them. Because you know what? That money, man. I want to be able to be a person that responds to the need. It's there. There's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, maybe. It's not a, hey, I, you know, I don't need to know their name. I don't need to get something in return. Uh, you know, is it a tax write-off? Because then I'll give. Now, here, you're going to camp. You're going to be able to do this now. Your need will be met now. But brothers and sisters, that's, that's got to be purposeful, intentional, in our planning. The Garcia household, our budget here, the first line, contribution. Next one, benevolence. That's just who we want to be. It's who others taught me to be. Because the reality is we've all been in those moments. We've all felt that. Whether times of little or much, 
I want us to know you're actually in the time period of much. You are rich. If, if that doesn't resonate with you, you need help with that, talk that through. Because that is a profound statement that challenges us to the core. Talked about challenging lesson, this is it. Because we're at a disadvantage. I go to Mexico, I go to Bolivia, they give me something, I want to give something back to them. They're like, no, it's offensive to try to not accept their gift or to pay them back. Because this is my offering to you. This is my gift to you. I believe we want to be that. I believe it. But boy, do we need to look at our giving and assess it in a real way. Am I living for the line here? Would my finances show that? If I were to show people my finances and where it's going to, does it show that to people? This man, this woman is invested for the line. He knows or she knows that heaven is her, his or her home. Would it be so obvious and clear? Because God says this is real life. Not an earthly life where everything ends up in a landfill. Man, I got to have this brand of clothing rather than that brand of clothing. I got to have these accessories for this car rather than this. I got to have, you guys know what I'm saying? Young people, teens, if you get this now, right, you're going to lay down a foundation, it says here, for your future. You learn how to give now, be generous, you'll learn how to be generous with much. Because I thought, man, when I get a job, then I'll be able to give. You know, when, when I'm hooked up later, I'll be able to give. The reality is, if you don't know how to give with little, how can you be sure that you're going to learn how to give with much? How do you know you're not going to be one of these sad stories who had a lot and just squandered it? So learn it now, young people. Learn it now. Giving is the cure. So let's embrace the two keys of the treasure principle we've learned here today. Key three, heaven, not earth, is our home. Remember who's waiting there, what's waiting for us there. And key four, I should live not for the dot that's temporary, that's finite, that expires, but the line that's eternal. It's for eternity. Never perishes because you, can take, you can't take it with you, but you can always send it on ahead. Love you guys. Thank you.